Good morning. Some of you may not know who I am. I'm Jody Hart. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Presbyterian. Uh, for those who are new here and those who are, you know, watching online, <clears throat> excuse me, Tracy's off in Simsbury preaching, uh, filling in the pulpit there, so he asked me to fill in today. Peace be with you. Peace to you. Three simple words. Peace to you. Jesus appears and says, peace to you. Why can't we find peace? Why is that simple pleasure so elusive? Is it something we've done? Maybe, but probably not, though. It is a result of sin. Not necessarily yours, but Adam's. After Adam said, sinned, hear what God said to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not, shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We live in a fallen, corrupted world because of Adam's sin. The entire cosmos, as Paul says, is reeling due to Adam's sin. He writes in Romans 8, 18 through 23, For I consider, consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For this creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We can't find peace in this world because there is no peace in this world. This world is full of thorns and thistles, not just figuratively, but literally. The whole creation is waiting for Christ to redeem it when he returns. What keeps you up at night? What are you worrying about? Your health? A loved one's health, a relationship with a spouse or a child. Actually, I'm going to stop here. Tracy said last week one of his professors always cried when he proclaimed the gospel, so I feel I'm in good company. <clears throat> Maybe it's finances. You hate your job and you dread going to work. Sunday nights are the worst. You're behind on your mortgage or you're afraid that you might lose your house. Maybe you're so far behind in your bills, you have collection agencies calling nonstop. To be honest, I've experienced every one of these. It's some of, and some of them I'm still struggling with today. You're not, you are not in a unique position. The only thing different about your situation and that of others here this morning are the specific details. When you experience times such as these, it's hard to know peace. It's easy to let your mind become preoccupied with the stressors in your life. I'd love to stand up here and say, don't worry, be happy. It'll all work out. But I know for some of you, that's not true. I really get frustrated when I hear people say things like that, like, it'll be okay, without knowing all the details. 
We all know someone who went through something difficult and it didn't end well. 15 years ago, my sister-in-law in her early 30s survived cancer, while at the same time, <clears throat> my sister in her, in her 40s died of a, of a different cancer. I have a friend, Robin. She is the sweetest, gentlest, kindest woman you'd ever want to meet. Not a single harsh word has ever crossed her lips. She married a friend of mine from college. <clears throat> they were blessed with 11 kids, lived in a small, raised ranch. Kids slept on a couch on the floor. They struggled. About three years ago, she was out with her youngest son, a 13-year-old child, driving home from running errands for the day. A car, car crossed the medium, hits her car, kills her instantly. Didn't end well. Her 13-year-old son was in the hospital as they buried his mother. We want to think, what was that driver doing? Was he drunk? Was he texting? He had a medical, medical situation arise unexpectedly. There's no one to blame. We almost want to find closure by saying, he's at fault. Eric, Robin's husband, said, there's no one to blame. It was God's time to call Robin home. That is not a peaceful situation. That is a horrible situation. Robin was so close to my wife, Mary, they would talk for hours about homeschooling and the, the challenge of, of a large family. But somehow, Eric found peace, not because of the situation. He didn't sing praises because his wife was taken. He sang praises because of who God is. Bad things happen. People lose their homes. Godly people get divorced. Families are torn apart. If you're honest with yourself, your life isn't turning out how you thought it would be, how it should when you were younger. We see people today and we think they're blessed and have no worries and think to ourselves, that's not fair. We tend to think if only I was like them, but the truth is, we don't know what they're hiding. And yes, we're all hiding something. How many celebrities do we hear each year enter rehab because of drug addiction? Or worse yet, celebrities die from overdosing or suicide. They can't handle the pain of this existence. There is no peace in their world. The problem with this world is that it can never satisfy you. No matter what enticement you seek, you find that you will, you're still lacking. But God has offered us an alternative. He does not, nor has he ever promised us an easy life. In fact, he's promised us the opposite. In John 15, 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome in the world. You'll have peace and you'll have tribulation. I don't think that you'll find those verses about tribulation and hardship in, in those books of Bible promises. But I think you should. The peace that Jesus offers us is not peace with the world, but, but peace in the world. We will have troubles in this world. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are you 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus told us not to fret about this world. Listen to this passage from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We all know this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But, God, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I have troubles today, we have troubles tomorrow. Another promise from Jesus. You won't find that in a book. Paul kind of piles onto this in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Are you guys encouraged yet? Feeling better? Who wants to stand up and yell, hallelujah, praise the Lord? And listen to what Paul lists as evidence of his solid Christian faith. In 2 Corinthians 11.23-27, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with the countless beatings and often near death. Five times I have received the at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's his pedigree showing he is a devout follower of Christ. Nowhere does it say, I have my home in the country, I have my yacht on the sea. He lists his hardships as showing that God loves him and he is claimed by God. If your plans aren't coming together, think about what the apostles are going through in our text. Just over a week before this account, they entered into Jerusalem with Jesus as heroes. People were shouting and praising God and praising Jesus. And if the apostles are anything like me, they're probably getting pretty arrogant and cocky thinking some of the praise is going to them. But things turned on a dime. Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and crucified. Their hopes and dreams died with him. But three days later, 
Some of them have already seen Jesus, and others heard he was alive. But just before this passage, Cleopas and his companion came in telling them about the trip on the road to Emmaus, how they saw Jesus, and he broke bread and revealed himself to them. Then Jesus comes in and says, peace to you. And how do they respond? Startled and frightened. Didn't Jesus tell them that he was going to die and rise again? But they couldn't hear it. Well, remember, because they were looking for their peace and security in this world. They all saw Jesus raise both Lazarus and the little girl from the dead. They just couldn't look past their own hurt and confusion. They were looking at their circumstances in the moment. Things weren't making any sense. They were heroes, now they were hiding. They saw Jesus die, but now he's alive, speaking to them. Things aren't making sense. For some reason, we look to this world to make sense. There's supposed to be order and contentment in this world. If we play by the rules, we'll get along just fine. If we get the right education, make the proper five-year plan, work hard, study hard, treat people with honesty and respect, our life will go according to plan. After all, didn't Jesus promise us the abundant life? Actually, he didn't. Jesus did not promise us an abundant life. There's a, he promised life abundantly. There's a big difference. Many preachers say preach the abundant life principle, the idea that God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. What actually Jesus promised is life abundantly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That means an eternal existence in his presence. That's what's promised. I'm not saying it's a sin to want and have nice things, but the problem comes in when we put our hope and our happiness in the things of this world. There are wealthy Christians who are very faithful in their lives. There are Christians who are never sick and others who have never had a failed relationship. Those are the exceptions to the rule. If our plans and preparations don't offer peace and happiness, how do we find peace here and now? How do we experience peace when our world seems to be crumbling around us? How do we experience peace when nothing is going our way? First, we must remember. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he instituted the Passover and said, do this every year as a remembrance of what God has done. The Jews wanted for 40 years in the wilderness because they did not remember. Only two of the, those who left captivity entered the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. The reason the only two entered was because everyone else had turned, to, turned from God. They looked for protections from the world. They, and in the world, they looked for their own security. Elijah had just finished winning the battle with the prophets of Baal. He heard that Jezebel had put a, a contract in his head. He went running off in fear from seeing God's miraculous intervention to cowering in fear because he was looking for peace in this world. The psalmist, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God doesn't forsake it just seems that way at times. Because we are looking for contentment and peace in this world. 
How can we forget about Peter when he got out of the boat? Well, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. He walked across the water. And then he took his eyes off Jesus, looked at the circumstances, and he sank. That one story summarizes, maybe not your life, but mine. But then Peter offers the most succinct, heartfelt prayer in Scripture. If there's any prayer in Scripture you want to memorize, this is it. Lord, save me. And then Jesus leads Peter back to the boat. The writer of the Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that which clings closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We all have seen God deliver us personally in some hardship in our life. Even if things don't go our way, we can look back and see how God used that circumstance to bring us to a place that we didn't necessarily expect. But he's used that to draw us closer to him. We can look back and see how he faithfully provided for us in those difficult times. When we encounter hardships, we must remember. Remember how God provided for us in the past. Again, maybe the situation didn't resolve the way you wanted it, but you're here. God has proved his faithfulness in your life. At some point, you can look back and remember. I have stories. Boy, do I have stories. And my wife and I have a, a, a motto, remember Korea. When I was in the Army, they wanted to send me to Korea. She was pregnant with our fourth child. Her spine had twisted in a car accident. I was supposed to leave her for 14 months based on an invalid, invalid wife with four kids under four, four and under. God delivered us. So we always say, remember Korea, because there's nothing to remember. We saw God's faithfulness. Another way to experience peace is to change our focus, to refocus. If we focus on the temporary hardships, we are not focusing on God. Habakkuk writes, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk realized that regardless of his circumstances, God is worthy to be praised. What Habakkuk here is describing is complete famine. We have never seen that in our lifetime. Even my grandparents who lived through the Great Depression didn't see anything that horrible. We may have individually been through difficult times, but there has usually been a place to turn for help. We must, we must refocus our thoughts. Instead of looking at the here and now, look to, look to who God is and his faithfulness in your life. We begin every service with God is good. All the time. I heard a pastor on the radio a few years ago say, he, I know churches who say that, and they shouldn't say that every Sunday because sometimes you just don't feel that God is good. Does that mean God isn't good? My circumstances may not be good. My day may be horrible. I may have had a horrible week. God does not change. God is good all the time. Our circumstances change. I look at faces around here. I've cried for many of you. 
I've literally cried. I'm a good company. And finally, we must look forward. Paul writes in his letters to the Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will complete it. God is continually working in your life. Whatever hardship you're going through is not eternal. It may last the rest of your physical life, but there is an end in sight. We are here in this earthly tent for just a short amount of time. If we are looking for total peace and fulfillment here, we will be missing out on so much more. I think we were often too, too much like the little kids in that marshmallow challenge. Have you seen that? They put the kid at a little table with a marshmallow, and they say, if you, when I come back, if the marshmallow is still there, I'll give you two or three marshmallows. Most of kids like me. I don't want to wait. I want the immediate satisfaction. God's satisfaction is not always immediate. We have to wait. They couldn't see, the kids couldn't see the re reward at the end. Here's how John describes the reward that's waiting for us at the end. In Revelation 21, verses 3 through 7. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will, will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither sh there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from him the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my, be my son. That is our heritage. Last week, Tracy quoted Betsy Tenboom, who said, The safest place to be is in God's will. Surely she believed this, and it's a true statement. But shortly after she said this, she was killed in the concentration camp with most of her family. By the way, even though most of the Ten Boom family lost their lives in the concentration camp, I don't know if you're all aware of her story, not a single Jew that was hidden by the Ten Boom family was ever caught by the Nazis. Everyone they, they helped survived. I'll say it again, the best way to have peace in this world that is devoid of peace is to remember what God has done. Refocus to see what God is doing and remain faithful to what God is going to do. Let me leave you the words of Paul from Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a faithful God who did not spare his own son for us. Father, we thank you for the hardships we go through that prune us and cleanse us and purge us and draw us closer to you. Father, help us to, be, to find your peace in this chaotic world. As you bring hardships, let us focus on you and not the storm. Father, thank you that you are God who loves us and protects us and provides. In Christ's name we pray, amen.